Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. We have a very special episode today because I'm interviewing someone who I've been trying to get on the podcast for a very long time, (laughs) my mom, Rosemarie, and she goes by Ree. Now, this week is actually my vacation week, and we are in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania, I'm here with my family. So my mom is basically a captive guest. She had her doubts about doing this, but her history is really amazing. She was a hazard girl starting back in the early 1960s as one of the few women running competitive track in New Jersey. There wasn't even a women's team at her high school or college the Rutgers University, the local college. And she somehow ran with the boys and made it all the way to the Olympic trials. So I thought it would be really interesting to get the whole story and find out about her experience. So welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, mom. Well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Well, before we start, I want to give a little bit more background on you because other than being my mom, your history is that in the early 60s, you were a New Jersey state champion track runner in the Amateur Athletic Union, and that was your early teens. AAU. The AAU. And you made it to the 1964 Olympic trials. You went on to run track in college at Montclair, and you continued to do road races into your 50s. And you are also a certified track and field coach and official and have been a track and field official at Princeton and Rutgers universities. You're also a certified speech therapist with a master's in speech pathology and a published short story writer. That's right. And you raised me and my sister. (laughs) (laughs) All right, mom. So let's start with the early 1960s. What was women's sports like back then and specifically women's track and field? Did it even exist? Was it a thing? No, women's track and field did not exist because sports were targeted only for boys, Uh all sports. And girls had like little after school, half court basketball, half court basketball. Yes. Oh, well, you know, girls can't do full court basketball Uh because they're not strong enough. That's what they that's what they told you. Yes. It was too tiring. There was there were were no interscholastic sports for girls at the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, girls love to run and jump and play and do sports. And I was one of them. Of course. So there weren't teams then, but what, what was it like at school? Like, they, did they have cheerleading? What sports yes, did they have? Yes, um, they did have cheerleading, and I was a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And my parents realized that there should be something else. Mm-hmm. And so when my father one day volunteered to be a track official at an all-comers meet in the big town near where we lived, he took me along to participate in the running events. How old were you? I think I was around 13 at the time, maybe okay. maybe 14, but somewhere in between there. Okay. So you're a teenager. They had something called an all-comers meet. Now, this didn't have anything to do with the school? No. No. This was something for students to do during the summer. The city of New Brunswick, mm-hmm. New Jersey, 
which is where Rutgers University is, sponsored a track meet just to keep the kids busy. Yeah. So they had, they did allow girls at this. They did allow girls. It was, yes. Okay. So you were there. And and so what, and this is just, so you, that's how you learned that you loved track. Well, tell, tell us what happened there. Yes. Well, because my father was volunteering to officiate, he brought me along and they had sprints, you know, short sprints, long sprints, but no, nothing more for girls because mm-hmm. at the time they thought girls couldn't run a, you know, a half mile or a mile. Oh my gosh. But another person who also volunteered to officiate at this track meet was the Rutgers track coach, Les Wallach. Okay. The Rutgers University, which is the big state school in New Jersey. Right. It's a state university and their track coach Mm -hmm. who was up there on the the scale of who to know. Yeah. Who's who in track. Yes. (laughs) He volunteered. My father volunteered. They talked to each other. They knew each other. So your, your father, my grandfather, Yes. so he, he, he wasn't really a sports person though, was he? He was a banker. Yes, he was a banker, but he was a person who volunteered his time in things like the American Red Cross, the American mm-hmm. Cancer Society. He volunteered to do tax returns for blind people. So he was, a, he, he liked to get involved in the He community. did. He was, he was very involved in, in being a helper. Okay. So what happened when you, you met, you, did you get to meet Les Wallach? Well, what happened was they put us, you know, they put the, the kids and or the young teens in different races. And I was paired not only with girls, but the race was with boys as well. Mm-hmm. When Les Wallach, the track coach, saw that I was beating everybody, not, not just the girls, but the boys, uh-huh. he got very excited. <laughs> so he and my dad talked over the possibility of him the coach at Rutgers coaching me. Okay. So you're like 14 years old, right? In high school, just starting high school. And the Rutgers university coach wants to train you. Right. But he, of course he wasn't going to come to the high school. So I had to go to the track team at Rutgers and work out with them. And he was just wonderful. He saw like a future for me, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back in those days that was saying something for a man, you know, who didn't have to do this to be interested in a, in a young woman, be willing to help her along mm-hmm. and point her in the right direction. So, okay. Now you are 14 years old and now you're training at the Rutgers University track with all of the Rutgers college boys. Yes. And were there any girls? <laughs> no girls. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what was that like for you? Well, of course, you know, I thought the boys were wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> They're all nice too. <laughs> but, 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 but the coach, Les Wallach, he, he watched out, you know, mm-hmm. he, he gave them instructions about what they could do. They could talk to me, but mm-hmm. you know, that was it. Yeah. They were, they were very well behaved. <laughs> and of course, you know, when you're training, you're exhausted from the workout. They right. were hard workouts. I was determined to be able to do something, maybe not keep up with them, but something akin to keeping up with mm-hmm. them. And it was intense satisfying. And he, the coach introduced me to the amateur athletic union. Oh, okay. When he saw that I was going to pursue being a track athlete. All right. I just want to go back to you, you being at track. So were you going there every day to the Rutgers track? I don't think so. Uh I I think it was uh, several times a week. And in the winter, they actually had a constructed, somebody constructed a wooden track in the middle of the football field outside Mm -hmm. for the track team. So, Why? Well, there was, you couldn't run on the track. It was iced, uh-huh. but the wood would, if anything fell on the wood, the precipitation, it would melt. Mm-hmm. So the track team practiced on the, this, these wooden boards on the outside. They were actually a precursor 
to the indoor track that they have today, the Mondo tracks, Mm -hmm. which they build inside of things like armories, Mm -hmm. or if it's a a big university, they'll, they'll have an indoor venue and they'll build a Mondo track inside and it's banked. You know, it's not as big as an outdoor track. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of on a slant. And so this little wooden track that was outside in the Rutgers campus was like a precursor to that and got me used. It got me used to running on a banked track. Okay, so they didn't even have indoor tracks back then? No, not at Rutgers anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so okay, so now here you are, you're 14 years old, you're you're going to these track practices with the boys every day, but not just boys, I mean they're college men, really. Mm-hmm. And so what was your plan? Like what were you just what were you hoping to do? Well, because I was introduced to uh, the AAU, the Amateur Athletic Union, which still exists, but at the time it was the only thing, and they were they were operating on a shoestring, mm-hmm. you know, because it was it was nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Les Follick knew that there were track meets, all comers track meets through the AAU, mm-hmm. and uh, they were spread around the around the state. And he knew that they had events for girls. Okay, so you know he got he made sure that I was uh, signed up and affiliated with the AAU, and then you know he give, would give me schedules, and I, he didn't come with me. He, my father would come with me, but I would go to these track meets. So your father would take you around to the different track meets around the state. Right. And then you'd be racing. How did you do? Well, I always won. (laughs) Pat myself on the back. (laughs) I I was trying to be a longer distance runner, Mm -hmm. but I really was very good at a longer sprint, which was the 400 at at the time, 400 yards, which is now the 400 meters. They're almost exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I would run the 200 meters and the 400 meters. And eventually I would try a half mile, which is the 800 meters. And I did quite well in that too, but I was never interested in the real long distances, like, like a marathon. They didn't even let women run marathons yeah, or, or any kind of long distance back then, you know, usually would stop at the 400 meters. That's what happens. You know, like the women were perceived as being too weak. We were the the people that were supposed to be trying but not succeeding. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, it was over the decades that women were given the opportunity to try to do more and succeeded in doing more. Mm-hmm. Then these different events were incorporated into track meets and eventually the Olympics. Okay. So you were going to, so you got signed up for these different track meets and you called them all comers. Does that mean both genders or yes. boys and girls Yes, at the time? Okay. So you got, so you started going to these track meets. What was one of these at West Point? What's the West Point story? I know you mentioned something. Okay. So one winter, the Rutgers track team was going to go to have a meet against West Point. This wasn't the all comers. This was the Rutgers. This was the Rutgers team. Okay. Yeah. They were going to take a bus up to West Point, which was quite an excursion. Mm -hmm. They were going to have a, a track meet with the West Point track team, the cadets, I guess. There were no girls at West Point at the time at all. And certainly not a girls track team. Yeah. <laughs> there was no girls track team at West Point. Yes. <laughs> but the coach at the, at the Rutgers university wanted me to do what they called an exhibition. So he talked to the other coach at West Point and it was agreed that I could run an exhibition 400 meters by myself. And they would just watch. So this is the <laughs> men's track meet, of course, because it's West Point versus yes. Rutgers, all men. And as the lone, how old are you at this point? 15? Like as the, the lone teenage girl doing an exhibition run at the West Point 
Rutgers. I don't remember, but I was probably around 15. Yeah. 16. At the, uh, yeah. So you're a 15 year old doing an exhibition run. What was the event? 400 meters. The exhibition 400 meter run. What were you thinking? I was just amazed at where I was and, <laughs> yeah. you know, looking around and taking it all in. It was an indoor track. It was dirt mm. and it was under a like a metal corrugated metal structure it was a full 200, a full, a full 400 meters. It wasn't a little tiny banks track. And it was just to, like, I was like the entertainer, you know, <laughs> I was entertaining them. Yeah. Was this at halftime? I don't remember when exactly I ran that 400 meters, but, you know, I was being observed by both track teams yeah. as the spectacle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think in, to some degree, you're probably accurate about it being entertainment and a spectacle. But also, I mean, they were really interested in your talent. They were. They were. And it was like a precursor to what was going to happen in, in the in the coming decade for women in sports. Yeah. That, yes, women can run, women can jump, women yeah. have endurance. Uh, you can train them. They're trainable. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, okay. So, so you ran this exhibition and what was the reaction? Well, okay. So they just put me all by myself on the dirt track on mm-hmm. the starting line. It was a standing start. And at the time they had a, a real gun. Of course it had blanks in it. Mm-hmm. Nowadays they use a, a start that's electronic, mm-hmm. but this was a starter's pistol. It made a noise. You know, there was a, I guess there was something in the gun. I started out by myself with no competition and ran that 400 meters as fast as I could. And I ran under a minute, which was like, they were like in awe. Wow. Uh-huh. I mean, I was just more interested in being done. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I was exhausted. <laughs> so 400 meters is one circle around the track, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And do you remember, was the audience reacting? Well, you know, they were very subdued. Mm-hmm. There was no clapping or cheering or anything. The coaches came up afterwards and told me how wonderful I was and you know they that they were amazed I think they pretty much talked to the cadets and the the other boys on the Rutgers track team and told them to you know keep their distance Mm -hmm. and not to be flirting with me or Mm -hmm. or on me in any way Mm -hmm. and on the bus the coach sat with me I guess to ensure that yeah but they were very respectful you know I was just a kid I didn't really think too much about it but, but what a cool experience, though. Okay. And now, and did that lead to you going to the Olympic trials in 1964? Was that the direct path? To that? And, well, what happened was I was very afraid at first to be a competitor. Mm-hmm. And even in that event that, that where I just was running by myself, I wasn't competing. Yeah. So I would go to AAU meets and I would be afraid mm-hmm. because I didn't, I was not a competitor. Right. And it was over time, over the next year or so, that as I raced, that I became more confident. I, I always won my race, 200 meters, 400 meters, and I gained my confidence. And then one day, I, I don't remember who told me, but they said that there was a championship meet for the state, an AAU championship meet, to which I should go. Uh-huh. And I went and I won the 400 meters. And at the time, because there was really no other way to glean talent for the Olympics, the state champion was taken for the Olympic trials Hmm. from each state. Oh, so you won the New Jersey state championship. Uh, Yes. And then I was given a invitation from the AAU to attend the Olympic trials in Randall's Island, New York. Wow. Yes. What was that like? Did you, who took you? 
Well, my father, who mm-hmm. else? My mm-hmm. father took me and I was not prepared. <laughs> it was enormous. There was an enormous stadium with thousands of people, all kinds of instructions. It was a hot day, very hot day in the summer. The only way I had to get there was in a car. So I was in the car with my father and we had to drive through some iffy parts of New York City. So we got hot and we had no air conditioning. So by the time I arrived at the stadium, you know, making excuses for myself, I was, I was, I was, oh, okay, yeah. I was coming. I bet. I bet. And then um, I had to wait, 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 because it wasn't just a race, it was done in flights. If there was one race, like, like, let's say it was a 200 meter race, there might be, you know, a dozen flights. Mm -hmm. So you were waiting on the track for each flight to go and wait for the next one. The official would say when the next one could go. And then the other thing that happened that I was unprepared for was instead of starting on a curved line, which I had always done on a track, Mm -hmm. they gave us lanes and the lanes were separated by distance. Staggered. Yes. Staggered. Thank you. So that everybody was running exactly 400 meters. Yeah. And they put me on the inside lane. And so when the gun went off and I started, I was started in the back. I was actually behind. Ah, All right. uh And I didn't know from lack of experience, I didn't know where I was. Yeah. Yeah. So truth be told, I did not do very well. (laughs) But it's amazing that you made it that far. (laughs) And your experience with being a girl training with the boy, all the boys and actually men at that time must have been really influential on your life in some way. Did I mean, how did it affect how you see the world? Okay. Um, this it influenced me in this way. I was always more attuned to getting along socially with boys. Mm-hmm. And when I got a job in different schools during my life and I coached, I was coaching mostly, most of the time boys. Mm-hmm. And I just knew how they thought, you know, Mm -hmm. what their expectations were, how they fooled around, Mm -hmm. what they like to talk about. Even now, when I talk to my grandson, Mm -hmm. you know, I have like more of an instinct about how to be social. Yeah. From a male point of view. Oh, interesting. Because it's different. Yes, (laughs) it is. (laughs) Okay. No. So we were talking about, you know, what, what it was like to be an athlete as a woman or girl during the 1960s. So you, you had mentioned to me earlier, this was before Title IX. Yes. It was like one of those things that was beginning to be spoken about, Mm -hmm. you know, but it wasn't like in the forefront of anybody's conversation. Mm -hmm. It was building. So you would hear dribs and drabs on TV about women's sports, uh, needing a hero, Mm -hmm. you know, or needing Mm -hmm. backup from the government. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's what did happen. The government instituted the Title IX, Mm -hmm. a mandate, and that changed girls' sports forever. And how did it change things? So do you see parallels? Like nowadays, we have issues with women's parity in professional sports. Like it's, it's all about pay, right? Pay in professional sports. Yes. Do you draw any parallels between that time period and now, and what we're dealing with now? Only in this way. It, it takes, everything happens slowly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never, oh, we should do this. You know, we should give a, uh, Women's basketball players, the same pay as men's basketball players professionally. Yeah. It's not an instantaneous or even a a quick fix. It's there's always arguments. There's always people trying to shuffle it under the rug, you know, stop. Mm -hmm. Maybe if we don't talk about it, we don't have to deal with it. Yeah. 
But women over the decades became more and more persistent, Mm -hmm. more vocal. Men began to be on their side. Mm -hmm. Finally, it comes to a head and things begin to happen. And it, it would seem that oh, suddenly we have this, you know, we have equity. Yeah. But it was really a very slow build. Slow, gradual process. Yes. Do you remember the time period where you suddenly saw things changing? Well, no, I don't, rec- I don't remember because mm-hmm. I was busy working and raising a family, mm-hmm. but I was working in schools and I did see that coaches needed to be hired for the girls. Mm-hmm. And before that, you know, they would say to some male teacher, they would say, oh, can you coach the girls tennis? Mm-hmm. They need to have a team too. Right. But over time, it came to, we need a woman tennis coach who's Mm -hmm. certified Mm -hmm. to coach the girls tennis team Mm -hmm. and not just some teacher that's like the shop teacher who wants to do it. Right. Not that I didn't have any skills. No experience, (laughs) no certification. Right. And then so kids today, (laughs) like your grandkids included, you know, they, they probably have no idea what women went through. Girls went through just a few decades ago, really in trying to get into and being able to play sports. And like, I, I go back and forth about whether I really want them to even know that when they're really little, I, I kind of didn't want them to know that. And now that they're getting a little bit older, I feel like it's really important part of their history that they do need to understand the struggle that other generations have gone through for them. So, I mean, do you have any, what, what would be your message to kids today who are looking to get involved in sports? Well, their under, their understanding is going to be muted by the fact that it's always been there for them. Mm-hmm. And they can't really relate Mm -hmm. to not being able to do something. Yeah. I don't think we should beat them over the head with it. Right. But, you know, you mention every once in a while, some historical event or some something that happened along the way and make them understand that they should be grateful. Yeah. And that it was a process Mm -hmm. like like all things, you know, that it it didn't happen quickly Mm -hmm. and that now it's there for them. You know, hooray. Yeah, right. It's there for them. And, and you know, let's make sure it stays because yes, yes. as we can see, rights can be taken away. So it's something that they shouldn't take for granted. Okay. I just wanted to talk a little bit about also, because it's, I think one thing I think that is really cool about being able to get into sports at a young age or at any age is that it's something you can really continue to do your whole life. Mm-hmm. And as part of your history, you, you were telling us you went through the Olympic trials and you said you didn't do as so well at that point, but it wasn't the end of your career. I mean, you went on to Montclair State University mm-hmm. and you continued to run with them. Now, there was a girls team at that point. There was a girls team at Montclair State University, but my studies like became too extreme, <laughs> too time consuming. But you did it for how long? So I did it for one year uh, before I decided that I just needed to spend my time studying. It's really important to know that you can continue with these things throughout your life. And you didn't just stop. Like, yes, you went on to college and you said you you had to focus on your academics. So you didn't continue to run throughout your entire college career, but you did continue to run. I did because then it's part of who you are. Yeah. So what did you do? How how were you continuing to run? Okay. So of of course, you know, when you're in very good condition through sports, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're not in good condition, you feel it. And then, you know, the the feeling of being strong and healthy Mm -hmm. is something that you want to hold on to. Mm -hmm. So you kind of adapt your life in whatever way you can to staying that way, whether it be, and this is what I did, I would uh, 
hire a babysitter for you know like an hour and a half and they would come over and watch the children and I would go out mm-hmm. and run or do weight training. Then when they were a little older, I would take them with me and we would go to road races, mm-hmm. which always had some kind of camaraderie, some something to eat afterwards, you know, I, socialization. I remember, I remember my childhood weekends as always being at a track meet. <laughs> always being at some kind of track related party. And then box play, when I had to play at home with toys, it was just, I would play with just boxes and boxes of trophies that were your trophies. Uh, uh, yes. So why did you have so many trophies? What well, were the- trophies can also become overwhelming. Like nobody really <laughs> oh, wants them anymore. What a problem to have. <laughs> Too so, many trophies. So my daughter would uh, <laughs> take my trophies and unscrew the runner <laughs> from the base. <laughs> and then of course there was this long screw on the bottom of the, the statue part. And she would take them outside in the dirt and jam them into the dirt and play with them like <laughs> like they were soldiers or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So uh, from uh, being the girl running with the boys and then just having boxes and boxes of medals and a lifetime of this, have, you know, having this love of running in your life. And you ran races into your into your 50s. Yes. Right. Road races. Road races into your 50s. Well, mom, thank you so much for sharing this. I know this is not how you plan to spend your mountain vacation. <laughs> But I always wanted to hear the whole story behind your track career. And I know our listeners will be very inspired by it as well. So thank you so much. Well, I hope so. It was was easier than I thought. (laughs) I love you. Love you too. (laughs) You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.